Just so you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I did put that on. Yeah, great. Okay. All good. Okay, this time I'm not going to be caught out. <laughs> I'm to make sure I'm recording. <laughs> right. When I looked uh, later after our conversation, and I never really edited, I think what's and all is good because it's just a chat. I said, I'll just listen back to it. And so I downloaded it and I listened to the conversation. It was a conversation we had afterwards. I was like, hang on, that's kind of strange. Oh, what's this one up here? And there was just a blip of the initial period when we couldn't get the mic recording. And then when we started talking again, I must have hit stop instead of recording, thinking that we'd, we'd stopped the recording previously. Oh. And I just I thought, oh, my goodness. This guy comes out. He's ill. He's coughing. He's sick. <laughs> he spent an hour with me on the on the, on the Skype, and you don't you don't even have it. And it was like it's, a classic late forties sort of tech issue, you know? Right. So that's it. Well, I, I I did that with my, I lost one of my interviews for the book. I just couldn't. I downloaded it from Skype, you know, because you only have thirty days, and I and then I couldn't open it for some reason. I, I downloaded it, but I couldn't get to it, so I had to redo one of my interviews. Oh, God. So it was good. But like I said, it was with Matt Pruitt. I said, hey, Matt, you know, we're friends. It gives me another chance to chat with you. So, well, that's nice. And we will definitely know each other. Yeah. I'm recording this bit. So everybody listening to this right now will know that Andy and I can't even differentiate between an on record button and and an off record button. My my skills as a researcher stop around a bit there. And that's, um, that's the way it's always been, actually. Not technologically proficient they come from a family who's great at engineering and all this different stuff mm-hmm. and better with words and writing and artistic things i was a singer for the lamb i guess 34 years you know and like just a uh, creative types and um <laughs> right yeah the rest of that that tech stuff just didn't sort of land with me i don't know just on my my forte but but there you go um, I'm glad, actually, that we got to chat again because there were things in the first chat I didn't ask you about the book. And I thought in a more generalized way, it's just important to get into the, the real basic meat of it because it's the Bigfoot influences. It's a very new concept. And we sort of joked last time in a complimentary way, but it's something that should have been thought of a long time ago. And yet that little gap in which it sits it just never happened because I suppose normally it's researchers thinking about how to present their research right and not the research of other people and that's a really good concept so you know just just take us through that you know so that you know it's it's a book about bigfoot it's different but there's hundreds of books about bigfoot so what's you know what's essentially different about this one compared to the others right right so and there's some fascinating books um out there and you know so many that cover the topic and the subject where mine's a little different uh you know i thought there was a gap and it was really it started as a personal quest because i i was searching for uh information on 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 the the individuals or the groups that are 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 doing things out there on researching impacting uh influencing the subject so it was a personal quest because I was listening to podcasts, reading books, you know, looking at documentaries. And then I listened to a podcast and I would hear a researcher that I didn't know who it was. I said, wow, that person's fascinating. Why don't I know about him? How would I find, that, find out who he or she is? So 
I got this idea. I said, wouldn't it be great to to, to have one a place where people could go and just see what a, a large group, you know, get a, a high level snapshot view of some of the f- individuals that are influencing the subject. So that's that's how it started. It just started as a crazy idea. You know, I've never written a book before, a first time author, and uh, but I'm not. You know, I'm always up up for a challenge. You know, and it was it was just a a, a fun idea, uh, and and it's been a fascinating ride. Um, and if you like, I can tell you. you know, kind of get into a little bit more detail how I start how you know how it it went from an idea to a, a book if you want yeah no, I'd, so. love, I'd love to, to hear the whole the whole journey you know how you started up who is always normally somebody there giving you the the sort of go ahead to say you you can do this go out and do that and who how did that happen yeah so um I wasn't really involved in the subject I wasn't I don't say I wasn't interested in the subject I you know, like I think, like most of us, um, we at least in our generation, we grew up looking at the uh, Patterson Gimlin film, and just thought I thought it was fascinating. But that was about it. I never, you know, I was open minded about it. I I I'm always liked that type of thing, but I wasn't it wasn't my passion. Um, and I just kind of you move on with life and you do things. And and my wife uh, Dana as was into has been into the subject a lot longer than i have and more just for she just was interested she was an enthusiast she used to watch it on tv she used to watch finding bigfoot her and our son gabriel would just watch all the episodes of finding bigfoot and obviously uh, sasquatch legend me science documentary and things like that so uh one year not that long ago maybe four or five years ago um she said hey let's go to a conference so she started, and I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, I wasn't really, I wasn't opposed like, to it. Who am I, I going to meet I in was, this place? What are these guys going to exactly, be like? Exactly. <laughs> I didn't know. I was like, man, are there going to be weird people there? Well, I mean, weird is, uh, we're all weird, but uh, yeah, I didn't know. So really weird. she didn't drag me. because I was. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. And I was open to it, but I wasn't like, it was would have been my choice if I, <laughs> of, of, oh, uh, uh, but so we went to the ohio bigfoot conference it was close enough where we could drive and uh we was it, it was the ohio bigfoot conferences it you know it started with don keating um and then it was passed on to mark deworth and it's it, it's probably where you know it, you know it, maybe not in addition to the symposiums and things like that that happened but it's it's one of the the conferences that laid the foundation for all the ones we see today it's it's you know it's it's one of the originals and it's a it's a great conference and we happened to get there we we were able to get get tickets which they sell out so fast for the the what they call the vip tickets where you can go in and, and listen to all the speakers um and we were able to get those which were a surprise because they sold out in like like five minutes oh it was crazy um and um and then we got there. Um, so we show up at this conference and um, we're checking in at the at the hotel. It's a it's a lodge at Salt Fork State Park, a beautiful place. And Salt Fork is a, has a history of sightings. So it's a kind of a cool place to have a conference because it's a conference where uh, they hold a conference in the park where there are sightings so it's kind of cool you can go out you can walk out of your cabin or your or the lodge and go hiking you know if you want in the woods where there have been sighting and reports um i know uh monster quest one of the episodes is, is filmed there at salt fork state park uh, actually it's the f- ironic story is it's 
it's the same lodge that we stay in <laughs> the same cabin rather and like wow that looks like the place we stay Strange it synchronization it is yeah so so we show up at so we show up at at, the, at this conference again i don't know what to expect we, we check in early i think a day or so early and dr jeff belgium happens to be uh checking in at the same time as we are and i knew who he was but i didn't you know, I wasn't really into the subject, so I, he's just another person to me. And and my wife's like starstruck because she loves Dr. Jeff Meldrum. And so I just I just start talking to him and kind of cutting up with him, making jokes and things. And it was it was it was our, my intro into the world. So he's super nice guy, super welcoming. Just became friends actually. I think that weekend. And then later on that evening, we happened to run into the curator, uh, Mark DeWorth, who puts the event on. And we were just down in, in the restaurant slash bar going to grab a bite to eat. And he saw us and he, he could tell we were first timers because I don't know if it's because we look normal or <laughs> 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 no, it's my joke. There's so a lot wearing of check shirts or something like that. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it was an interesting event because people knew we we didn't we. Yeah, we they thought we they thought we were speakers and things like that, okay. which is kind of funny because we're just people hanging out and listening to Bigfoot. Like premonition, uh, maybe. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. Um, so, so he was, he, he grabbed us he, and he said, he, you know, he's welcoming. He knew it was our first time there. He goes, well, Hey, we're, we have an event tonight at one of the, you know, we, uh, where we bring in the speakers and we just have kind of a, a, a pre conference informal dinner cookout thing. And it was for some of the people, some of the Flint friends, some of the volunteers, some of the others that work at the event and the speakers. So he invited us to that event. And we got to meet, uh, we got to hang out with with Dr. Jeff Meldrum and uh, Jonathan Wilkes and and Cliff Berkman and James Bobo Fay. Uh, I think um, Charlie Raymond may have been there, too. There's just a bunch of people there, uh, Dr. Russ Jones, and just got to meet a bunch of people. And we're just, it, you know, it was cool. I was, you know, sitting there hanging out, you know, drinking a cold one with them and, and just talking about some things not even related to the subject. It's just really fun getting to know them. So, you know, so that kind of was my intro uh, and what got me into it. And then uh, from there, I was listening to um, Dr. Jeff speak uh, later on that weekend. And it, I just scratched my head. I said, wow, there's actually a serious academic, you know, a PhD that's interested in this subject. And if he's interested in the subject and the way his, he presented it, it's it's compelling. It's it's you you got to say, wow, there's got to be at least something to this. If if you've got uh, you, if the way Dr. Jeff presents, you know, his research and what he's, what the, you know, his because that's what he Absolutely. does. He studies. Yeah, he studies bipedal locomotion. So, I mean, here's here we have a specialist that just studies that. Apologist. I mean, the, the risk, yeah. the absolute risk to take that position publicly is it means you have to be convinced. Because that's your whole career. You're not going to go right. public as a university professor. Uh, he did explain to me he had tenure before he went public. And that's what he mm-hmm. believed saved his career because they did try to get rid of him, uh, his colleagues, when he came out. But still, still a massive risk. Uh, reputationally, mm-hmm. how are you going to advance if that's your position as an anthropologist? Right, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. And then uh, Cliff Berkman presented... And was just fast. Same thing. It was just the way he the way he takes the scientific approach to it, and and he really uh, puts the data first. And it's it's all data driven. It's not it's not speculation. It's it's based on 
the things that the reports they're taking, the tracks they're finding. And, uh, you know, so I walked away that weekend thinking, wow, this is kind of cool. I mean, this is really it, it, it just it gave me a different perspective on the subject just just from that. And um, and then so, yeah, so then I kind of got into it. I started, you know, just we kept going to different conferences. We continue to go to the Ohio Bigfoot Conference um, every year. And um, and it's you know, that's where kind of where it all started. Wow. I mean, it's to me that that hook that you get there. And I actually didn't really go to any, because I'm in the UK, we don't really have any Bigfoot conferences. Funny mm-hmm. kind of UFO and paranormal conferences, but when I'll tell you a story, another funny story at the time, the first conference I ever spoke at was a UFO conference. I did wow. a cryptozoology talk with them, and my opening joke was that my wife quipped to me before the conference that for once I'll be the only normal guy in the room. <laughs> and they kind of got it some groaned. There you go. <laughs> because to me, that was a strange subject, even being into Bigfoot. But there you go. I think once you get into these conferences sometimes and you see the type of people that are there, they're nice. It's communal. It's um, it's welcoming most of the time. And and even the researchers, and I had a similar experience to you. Right? I think you recently at Crypticon. I was there in 2018, which is when I met some of those guys as well. And uh, my first impression was, oh, these people are just happy to talk to you. That's mm-hmm. really nice. And of course, people are just people. Why wouldn't they want to talk to people, right? Uh, but sometimes when you see somebody from, I suppose, that separate perspective of viewer or, or follower or fan to you know, the person in, in in front of you, that's a very different experience. You know, you're familiar with a person that you do not know. Right. So how do you bridge the conversational gap? Mm-hmm. But at least from the uh, the followers' point of view. But they were very easy. They were very nice. And I had a very experience, uh, similar experience too. So I'm not surprised that you were you were dragged it, in to becoming a Bigfoot E. Right. I know, and I've met a lot of friends. I mean, I've got I've walked away with this. I've got some friends that I've made through this, and and I, I cherish that. It's it's really cool, and I. I think, you know, uh, my wife and I both were always people where people we love people. We love in- learning about people. Uh, we love hearing about, you know, what you do and how you could. We're just interested. We we like you. And I think and, and and I think some of the things that tie into the concept of the book, because there's there's part of the book is not. And we'll get into that later. But I, you know, I remember that first weekend chatting with uh, Dr. Jeff for a while. And he may not remember because he talks to hundreds and thousands of people. But we we talked more about um our family and our other interests than we did did about Bigfoot. And probably because number one, I wasn't I didn't know enough about it because I was just getting into it. I never, you know, and two, I was just interested. And I it was kind of, I think it's kind of refreshing for him. Uh and sometimes because you know, all of us, if we go to these these conferences and and I'm I'm I've got a couple I'm gonna be speaking at this year, which is surprising me too, but um um I think for some people, they they probably always wearing that, you know, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a Bigfoot researcher and it's kind of probably refreshing for them not to have to talk, it, talk about Bigfoot once in a while, you know. <laughs> I noticed that people sort of yeah. get a downtime. But similarly, going back to Jeff Belkin again, I think the dinner we all had at the original conference, I found that they had nine children, all adults. Mm. And uh, I couldn't help myself because in that sort of funeral kind of way saying the wrong thing at the wrong time because it's amusing I said so really you're into Bigfoot because you just want to get out of the house 
And <laughs> that's a bigger risk than the university is staying at home. You've got nine kids there. And of course, you know, that was nice. And I think I remember a similar conversation with who's the chap who the movie Fire in the Sky was based upon, you know, for Dutty Talker, speaker. I should know his name. He was very nice. Being at Crypticon with him and the She Squatches, who are really good friends of mine. I love those girls. And Cliff, and a few other people, and Cliff was talking about some Dogman episode. She Squatches were talking about a near death experience. And um, famous UFO researcher of Duck T, whose name I'm very sorry if you're listening. I don't remember. Oh. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. I know who you talk. I think, yeah. I think Doug Hatcher just interviewed him a few, a few weeks mm. ago. Yeah, he's super nice. But he just oh, spent the whole time talking about how insanely strong his sons were. And kind of, <laughs> we were eating pizza. It kind of amused me. This was the Bigfoot conversation. And of course, nobody wants to talk shop after work. Right. So it's it's a normal thing. But I was in that Bigfoot, Bigfoot sort of space. Uh, so that was interesting. It's nice. Tell me about, let, let's go back to the book a moment, actually, because the conferences are great. And I think that's a great way for people to expose themselves to you know, mm-hmm. to the public as well because that's when they can meet you they can greet you and get signed books and and talk about things uh in the book as well get more information but the book itself is interesting to me because of the different types of perspectives that might be in it now one of the things i'm i'm very interested first of all and i haven't read the book yet because i'm as we've discussed i want a signed copy i've saved myself i have seen excerpts from it that are very impressive um how many researchers there is uh, and then I'll get you, I, you before, before, oh yeah, it's back here too, but, uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, we could talk offline about that. Maybe we'll just, we'll, we'll trade, trade off books. I'll have you send me one, an offline copy of yours yeah, and then better. I'll just, we'll call it even. That would be my pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, anyway, that was, um, that was <laughs> fish that went in, but I don't apologize. So, um. Yeah, I'm interested in how many researchers are in the books. It's volume one, so there's going to be more volumes, right? Right. How many researchers are in this book? Just to start, how many different perspectives do we have to look at? Right. So, you know, I, I sat down. So, so the publisher is Hangar One Publishing, which is uh, Doug Highcheck, um, uh, Alex Highcheck, and Blaine Highcheck. Uh, Doug Sons, phenomenal people. Just love those guys. Um, and I without them, message. I couldn't have done the book. Yeah, and 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 for the for the the audience here. Um, Andy and I uh, are are brothers uh, by publishing company. So yes. Andy's book, we're, we're you know Andy's as you guys probably already knows is with Hangar One Publishing as well. So, yeah. um, so there's well I sat down with Alex and and we were coming up you know I had to come up with a list. So the concept of the book is I I interviewed uh, various individuals who are influencing the subject, um, and they didn't have to doesn't have to be a researcher. It could be someone who's influencing the subject. And and you know I've I've caught some slack for. You know, we we always catch slack on social media for what the words we choose, and and uh, you know, if you That's say Bigfoot, given in the Bigfoot genre, yeah, if you're a, a researcher yeah. or you know, I don't think anyone calls themselves experts anymore because yeah. too many people getting crap about that. Um, and an influencer, everyone, so I get that sometimes. So, well, I, that that word gets thrown. Well, you know, an influencer to me is someone who's impacted the subject historically, mm-hmm. currently. Uh, and and that could be in in multiple ways. It doesn't mean you're a researcher. So um, so I, I, so what I did is I I sat down with the publisher with Alex and I said, okay, how many how long do we want to make the book? Um, originally, I didn't know I was going to be writing multiple books, but we we could chat about that in a few minutes. Um, 
And uh, we came up with a number uh, around 30. So there's 30 individuals in the book just to keep the book to a certain, you know, a readable. Wow. You know, it's yeah. about 277 pages, I think. Okay. Um, if, and there's some, a bunch of other cool things in there. But uh, I interviewed 30, there's 30 different perspectives. Um, I think most of the there's there's some interesting things because there's there's some um, there might be a few individuals in there that people have never heard of. But have been involved. Uh, the um, my foreword was written by a scientist uh, Carlos Jimenez, oh, wow. and Carlos uh, studied under Dr. Grover Krantz. But he's not a household name uh, like some of the other folks. But he's got a, a historical background in the subject, and then he was out of it for a little while, and then came back, got back into it, and and uh, so it's kind of fun to, to. There's there's some folks that are in there that you may not realize. Of the impact that they have had, or they, that you know, or that they've been involved in in the subjects for so long, or made made a difference. So there's 30 individuals. Um, I interviewed them. Uh, it's a you know, it's an interview. It's an interview style um, format. Um, and that you know, when I was when, when I was coming up with the concept of the book, uh, the idea, I I asked my wife, and she said, "Hey, go for it. It's just why not? You know, just do it." I'm like, "Okay, sure. I'll just do it. Never written a book before." And then I called Matt Pruitt. Who, for the if the audience don't, don't know, Matt Pruitt's a, a a researcher. He's been involved in the subject for a while. He's uh, he's the producer of of uh, Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. Uh, he's he was involved with some of the produce production of uh, um, Finding Bigfoot. Um, he's just a, a educated a mm. wealth of knowledge, eloquent, just one of the best speakers out there, and the nicest guy in the world. Great research. And we had, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. very thorough, very very mm. you know. Um, very, you know, this is what it is. Doesn't want to go beyond, you know, doesn't want to speculate. Um, and Matt and I had become friends and I called Matt with the idea and he said, I think it's a great idea. But going back to, to the concept, Matt told me, he said, well, just do this. Make sure he said, I, cause I've been burned on interviews. I talked to a mm. reporter and then they take what, take my words and spin them around. He said, when you're approaching the individuals, let them know that it's going to be your words. I'm not going to change anything. It's an interview style. Offer to give them a copy um, of the, you know, of chap of their chapter, uh, if you know, before it gets published, and that'll protect you. That'll make them feel at ease. So, mm -hmm. so there, and that's what I did. So, um, there's each chapter covers uh, a certain uh, an individual, and then I've got some bonus things blended in there from some other folks that helped out. You know, got was able to get a few other people in the book um that and and into different ways and that's and and that's it there's you know i asked you know and going back to uh when i mentioned i had some conversations with uh, dr jeff meldrum and he's in in the book you'll you'll crack up at this andy he's got he mentions trying to feed all the kids and keep food in the house uh -huh. you know? <laughs> but with with yeah yeah it's it, it, it funny it's six boys and three girls i think so it's it's insane and i don't know his yeah. size he's about six three six four yeah I mean, it's um, yeah. Those he, you, you can always tell those kind of fathers they're always working because that's that's what they got to do. <laughs> he, I think he mentioned that I it may not be his, his exact words about watering down the the orange juice uh, because <laughs> he had to make it last, and then the kids would say, "Why is this? 
why do I one of them went to their friend's house and said, Why does their orange juice taste different than ours? Yeah, because it's ninety eight percent water, kids. <laughs> so uh so in the book I I interview in the interview style, I, I ask some personal questions because I think okay. it's kind of fun. These yeah. we're all normal, we're all just people. We all have families, we have yeah. kids, or we maybe we don't have kids, but we're all you know, we all have things, we have things outside of this subject. And so I thought it's, you know, not a ton, but I have some questions blended in there in the beginning of each chapter that are more of on a personal side, just to get so everyone can kind of get to know I like that. Yeah. the individual I think a little the backstory, bit. the life, um, actually the life position, the positional life experience of the person is very important. Actually, I even try to find that out about my witnesses, because actually you can tell a lot about what's going on with them. And how their perception could be affected in, in some circumstances, right. of course. Not as an exclusionary thing, but it's important. And I think that's great. What that actually is one of the questions I've got for you is that what would you say, if anything, the researchers in your book have in common with one another? What are the common factors? I've always been interested in this the psychological the psychological perspective that each researcher in your book has. Is there a common factor? Apart from Bigfoot. Um <laughs> you know, I would say um, well, I guess two things, non-related to the subject. There's a lot of musicians. Yes. A lot of musicians. And I'm not sure. What, I mean, I don't know if that's just there's a ton of musicians out there in the world or okay. if it's something related. But that's that kind of stood stood out to me that every most of most of everyone in, you know, your president included, you're, you're a musician as well, Andy. So um, there's I would say 90 percent of them, you know, play an instrument or sing. Uh, which interesting. is it's interesting, definitely interesting. And then and then most of them got into the subject of of Bigfoot because they had a personal experience. And I think that's kind of normal yeah. for any a lot of researchers. The reason they're researching mm. is because they had an encounter or something happened, and and they okay. or they they found found some type of uh, trackway or something, and they say, oh my gosh, okay. and then they kind of springboarded them into the into the subject. It's the, the whole you cannot you can't see what you've seen sort of principle mm -hmm. somebody has the experience they know it's real they can't deny the validity of that experience and then the questions and they are you know, the researching if any starts after that or at least it compels them in some part of their life i don't have that actually um i'm just very very curious about it but, but uh, going back to the musician part of this you were at CryptidCon recently was there a karaoke in the bar afterwards uh, no, there should have been though. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, they would. Well, they did one. have. They did have musicians there. You know, the oh, first night they had a. Uh, so it wasn't karaoke, but they had music. That would have been fun though. Yeah. Okay. Well, there, there was one when I was there, and the first thing that came up, it, I, I sang a little. I think uh, further on in the night myself, something pushed me up there. But before that, I listened to five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten researchers and other people get up and kill it as proper singers or rappers or whatever on the karaoke. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm in a room full of musicians. <laughs> Isn't this weird? And then, you know, I went up and some other people went up as well. It was very strange. And it was only later that that musicians and Bigfoot or cryptozoology sort of um, element came to play. And I thought, this is insane. Why would so many of them be musicians? It's a strange thing. It is. And I'm not sure if it's what, what you know, maybe I'll dig into that a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, anyone listening and watching, maybe if you have a, you have an idea, let us let Andy or I know. I, I can't figure it out. I don't know why. Yeah, it's, they just are. You no, know, 
I don't know. You know, it it, it could be um, that, you know, when a lot of folks go out, you know, hiking and camping, you know, they that's kind of a pastime, you know, maybe um, that they they play they they you know because when they're sitting around a campfire, someone someone's playing playing some tunes, yeah, uh, with the guitar or or, or singing. Um, I'm not sure, but, you know, I have no idea. But it just seems like an enormous amount of people that are musicians that are researchers. It's insane. It's insane. This is if you found out that 85% of all alien abductees were like uh, double glazing salesmen. But hang on a second. This is really weird. Why mm-hmm. are they taking double glazing salesmen? Right, right. Or whoever, you know, aluminum siding. Um, one of the things uh, I always come across with in Bigfoot, and I'm a strictly very flesh and blood advocate, theoretically speaking, with, and I look for other cryptids as well, all types around the world. So, you know, I'm looking for animals that haven't been discovered. And it's a very strange thing to me to think that before the discovery of the Okapi or the gorilla or the, the Komodo dragon or anything like that, that people might have said, oh, well, you know, the reason you can't find this animal in the jungle is because it tops it in other portals. It's a weird thing to me, but I know it's mm-hmm. it's a theory that's out there. So what would you, you know, what's, what does a book uh, reflect in terms of Bigfoot identity theories amongst it, re- its researchers. Is it overwhelmingly flesh and blood, or is there a few ufology and paranormal uh, woo, as we call it, explanations mixed in as well? Uh, great question, Andy. Um, so I would say the majority, not all, the majority of the, fir- the individuals in the first book, and it wasn't it wasn't by pattern. I just uh, are probably flesh and blood. Um, although there are a few, you know, um, that, that are open-minded and even the flesh and blood ones, uh, I, what I've noticed is even they may, although they may not say it's related to Bigfoot, all of them have, you know, not all of them, I should take, I hope that doesn't come out. No, it does, but, uh, many of them have seen orbs in the woods or they've had, or they hear noises and things that they can't explain. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're not relating it to Bigfoot, but but so many of them have heard and felt and seen things that they don't that they don't can explain. Um, so there are, a few, you know, I saw to say, them again, the majority of them are, are I would say, biological flesh and blood uh, believers. I think that's that's where I, I, I you know, put my head in. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm not smart enough to know. You know, I just say, hey, it's, it's to me, it's not, you know, let's let's make sure it's not an animal. You know, let's make rule that out first. And I yeah, think that's exactly, where, yeah. where Before I would get your towards. EMF meter outlets, you know. Right. Let's, let's find out if this thing living in the woods. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but there are a few um, um, Ron Moorhead's in the book. So Ron's Ron started as flesh and blood and now he's open minded. To, you know, I think he still thinks it's it's it's, it's science. He still wants to take a scientific approach. Mm. But he's thinking, you know, he Ron uh, leans towards the quantum physics a theory and and maybe there's different dimensions and different uh, uh yeah. energy energy levels and and that that we're all beings of energy so so i think it's still plates, te- so to speak or... yeah okay um stacy brown's in the book so stacy's open-minded to, you know i think he still he still thinks it might be flesh and blood but he's totally open-minded that it may not be because he says he sees you know there's a commonality with the orbs and bigfoot sightings and there's mm-hmm. commonality why his all his electronics go haywire, you know, when he's out there sometimes, you know, so there's something, you know, something that, um, and then Les Stroud's in the book, 
Uh, so Les is, Les is uh, open-minded. You know, he, he said, why did, you know, I think Les is one of his statements is, why do we have to pick what we, you know, what, what yeah. if it's something, you yeah. know, why let's, you know, so I think that's where Les is. I think he started off as a flesh and blood guy. And then he's experienced some things out there that he can't explain. So he's like, hey, who knows what the heck it is? Let's just and figure it out. He's an experienced uh, outdoorsman. I mean, you, it makes it makes me lose hope a little in the sense of if he's out there, he knows the, you know, he knows the country or the terrain and he knows the sounds, the forest so well. Mm-hmm. Yet he can't, he also can't you know, locate this animal if, and it, Okay, he's not. I suppose he's not a, um, a zoologist or wildlife specialist or biologist anyway, or tracker even. But he's got those skills. You'd mm-hmm. think he could find it. And that every time I see you go down, I'm a big fan of those Stroud, uh, and and feel like, oh, you know, I'm kind of I was banking on you, Les, to to make this happen. Come on, Les, yeah. Come on, because you've got those skills. And me as a city boy, once I get out there, I have to be rescued, you know, every three hours. <laughs> with a Starbucks or something just to make me right again. Um, <laughs> there was a joke recently amongst some of my friends that if I was on Naked and Afraid, I'd be like an hour and a half till I asked them to sort of helicopter me out to the nearest coffee shop. Right. And, um, you know, because I'm a city boy, I love the woods, but there's there's elements when you know it, you know it, he knows it. Right. So what is that? Now, we spoke last time in the conversation that never was about <laughs> uh, the fact that I had the theory for a long time about something about human two theories, something about human ego says once we can't find anything, we start looking for supernatural explanations because Mm -hmm. it's impossible. The conquerors of the earth cannot locate something with all tools and experience. And the second theory was based upon things like infrasound and other aspects that could perhaps um, affect electrical equipment and also our bodies. I always hear about people talk about being zapped and things like that. And, um, you know, some animals do have this ability. It's said that tigers use infrasound to stun their prey into motionless as they're creeping up on them. And and there is perhaps something in that. We definitely know elephants use it in some other animals anyway. That's what I look at when I look at these slightly paranormal things. Even the orbs, I think, is there a a physiological uh, phenomenon that could create these uh, hallucinations, perhaps, or even visual disturbances for the approaching intruder uh, that this animal has in some way. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card. What, what, what do you think about those, those slightly um, stretched explanations for the paranormal Bigfoot? Right. Well, I, I think... You know, because there's some there's some researchers and I only know what the what, you know, from what I've read and from what the researchers have told me, um, I think for some researchers uh, that have moved from one side to the other, I think maybe they get frustrated and they mm-hmm. because they haven't found the answers doing it. The 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 you know, they they think it's a big ape in the woods and they they've you know, after X amount of years, they they can't they can't find it and maybe they you know they they looking for another explanation um i think sometimes i was talking to uh steve calls and we were talking about ptsd uh and witnesses sometimes get ptsd uh after a sighting because it's a trauma it's a traumatic event yeah so he said sometimes if you see something disappear 
did it really disappear or did you just lose because of such a trauma? Sometimes you yeah. lose, you can't remember everything that happened because it's such, so traumatic. So that could explain it too, but I'm not a, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I have a, you know, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's flesh and blood. Yeah. Although, uh, if some, if it's something else, you know, uh, it, you know, it, and there's evidence that comes up of it. You know, um, I feel the I same. No, I feel yeah. the same. I mean, uh, yeah, my interest is animals. I'm, I'm hoping to find an animal. You know, mm-hmm. Sure, um, but I know, I know, I know people who I trust and I recognize who are great researchers who have climbed over that hill into the paranormal side of things, and have also had experiences we talked about. They can't explain, and suddenly they've started to say, "Hey, hang on a second, am I looking at a paranormal creature?" I still think from that we're talking about physiological attributes that we can't explain. So I was and I always use this example all the time that um, you know the first person dived into the ocean and witnessed uh, an octopus camouflage itself against a rock would mm-hmm. have considered that a magical power. Right. And yet we know we can explain how that happens now. But if you look at it objectively, that's that's crazy. This creature can can assume the color and sometimes the shape of the object it's on that's that's insane and i think perhaps we're looking at something like that another question um that i have is that and, and again quite quite uh, provocative is do you think and you've been to some of the, a lot of the conferences now and you've written this book do you think and this is something that's always on my mind that bigfoot is too much of a cult status now or following to become you know true true scientific endeavor it's too crowded out by the <clears throat> by the fad, by the trend of Bigfoot to ever be something scientific. Um, I think that does probably keep science away from it at times. I think because there's so much, you know, especially on social media, you know, there's so many videos and there's clickbait and there's things that there's just videos and photos and hoax things that happen, unfortunately, and they get debunked. But then, you know, mainstream science sees that. And I think that does possibly keep them away. Um, there are some there are some interesting things going on, though. Um, and there are some scientists that are involved. And Amy Boo, who's uh, in the book, she's uh, she her and uh, <clears throat> I like her work. Yeah. Yeah. Her and the folks, uh, Shane Corson and and chris spencer and they they put together and some other folks put together a a thing called project zoo book and uh they bring in some individuals project zoo book they actually host uh bi-weekly zoom meetings and the goal of it is to have um individuals who are scientists or science-minded some are some are zoologists some are primatologists and but they it gives them a forum to talk about the subject in private without having their names go public because mm-hmm. these are individuals that don't want the public to know that they're involved or interested in in, in Bigfoot yeah. or the research. So so there are some, but definitely it, it's tough because Bigfoot's pop culture. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. definitely it's everywhere. I was, um, you know, it's it's just you, no matter where you turn, it's if if anything that it's you just see it's anywhere. So it's it's tough for science to take something like that serious. I think you know most of most of the individuals uh, that I talk to feel that uh, it's gonna take you know someone unfortunately a a, a body, uh, someone a truck hits one or 
or someone to get a, a, a you know some type of, of you know piece of a body of a, of an animal if it's that's what it is um uh to prove it but you know or, or a national geographic style video you yeah. know capture or something and yeah. besides, you know outside of that it's it's never going to be proven and it's been tough because we have since you know since 1967 um the best evidence we have is you know i mean we have tons of tons, tons of trackways that were compelling mm-hmm. but most will most still will go back to the patterson gimlin film as as and, and some, you know some people don't still think it's hoaxed uh or uh, it's it's guy in a suit now but most people on the subject think that's the bit the, the most compelling piece of evidence we have and that was you know that's been you know 1967 that's been a long time and we haven't progressed since then it's i mean it seems to be i mean you have the great a very intriguing documentaries like Todd Standing's Discovering Bigfoot and there's of course the Freeman footage, which isn't really as clear, mm-hmm. which is very difficult to, to look at, but also great trackways. And, and I know there's a book out also from Hangar One Publishing about that now, Freeman Files. To me, it, you're right, there has been nothing like the Patterson Kimmel Bigfoot footage. I was half and half on it for a long time until I saw, again, Professor Meldrum's uh, talk on it and everything about the physiognomy of the creature and its movements and its musculature and its gait was explained. And I thought, okay, that's okay. They can't actually replicate it. And I think the proof is in the fact that we would do it again. If such amazing fakes were plausible and possible in 67, we could do it every year to that degree, to uh, to that standard um so yeah I'm, I'm with you on that one something else about i, I think about the genre that's interesting i'd like to get your take on is is the similarity in sightings so i wrote a book sort of about different types of hairy humanoids recently mm-hmm. that, and in that i was very intrigued to find out that there's different types described in different places of the world do you see that in your book with the researchers are there very descriptive accounts of interactions with creatures and and do they are they the same or do they differ uh physiologically right uh and that's a good question too yeah there are there there's there's, there are similarities and there are some differences and and i don't know some of the differences could be geographically Mm -hmm. uh there's there's some varying uh colors that some of some some individuals see black there's been gray ones there's been you know brownish you know you know go, go to all different different variations of of the hair uh, so that varies. Um, the size, uh, it, it, interesting enough, is is you you hear some reports about uh, that that claim that you know the individual looked just like Patty, you know, from the Patterson mm-hmm. Gimlin film. But then many many sh- many say it's a uh, they see something leaner with a, mm-hmm. a small waist and more of a broad shouldered, almost like a you know like almost like a bodybuilder type build. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be um, there could be there's different theories on that too. Some some feel that many of the sightings could be you know juveniles that are or or uh, there's just different theories on that. Or it could be if they live in family groups, maybe it's it's a male that was pushed out of the group because he got to the age where he had to either compete like the other primates do, either compete for to stay in that you know to be the head of the family group mm-hmm. or move. So some feel that you know when these road crossings and things happen that's what they're seeing there's they might they could be possible that they're seeing an individual that's yeah. just you know moving from point a to point b looking for another family group uh yeah. but that's just a theory obviously until it, it, it can be proven um so other similarities i think mo- the the most striking thing is is 
everybody says they can tell it's not a bear. There's no mm-hmm. snout. There's no um, and now unless some of the dogman sightings are, are are mistaken for Bigfoot, which could be possible too. I'm not sure. Um, uh, and it's it's always a cross between an ape and a human. The face. They say there's there's more there's more it looks more human than an ape but it's not doesn't it's some, something in between and some of the hunters that 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 have been out there has hesitated and not taken a shot at it because once they put it uh, you know in their scope and they look at it they think it's a, they it's too human like right. uh, so that's common um you know the sizes range from you know i think you know from the reports from you know 7 to 10 feet on average, uh, it could be small ones. Like there's a phenomenal uh, account in the book, uh, Bob Strain and Kathy Strain and two other individuals down in a place called Area X. They're part of the North American Wood Ape Conservancy. Uh, had a daytime sighting. Four of them mm-hmm. saw two of them, and they were smaller. I think one was six foot, and one was approximately six foot. One was four feet. Daylight mm-hmm. sighting. Four, four, uh, four uh, researchers saw these. Um, and they bolted up the hill and they witnessed this and they, they tried to chase up the hill and they couldn't, couldn't, and they, it was just, those are the types of things that make you scratch your head and say, well, there could be, is this mass, you know, everyone wonders how we, how do we get these thousands and thousands of reports of eyewitness reports of these things? Could there be that much mass delusion or that much uh, misidentification? But what compels me is when you get reports like that, when you have multiple individuals seeing a daytime sighting seeing the same thing absolutely that i think uh, peter burns uh told me he's uh there's there's a report he had taken i i don't not sure if it's 2014 or 17 i probably have to date wrong so forgive me peter um but there was a a group of uh loggers uh uh, workers saw one in broad daylight walking up towards towards where they were working and there's a, a group of you know like seven or eight of them that saw this so you know, those are the things that are interesting to me is, is you know, you know, and then you, and then if it's a hunter, why, if you're, why are you going to risk your life going out in the woods trying to hoax somebody when you've got mm. people with firearms okay. in, the, in the middle of the night or anytime, you know, you're just not going to yeah. do it. No so. way. I mean, you'd have to be mentally unstable, but that, that sort of instability might mitigate against the preparation needed. To go out pretending to be Bigfoot in the costumes, the prep, the, the whole routine to get out into the woods—it's unlikely anyway. I think it's very unlikely. It's not out of the realms of possibility. Somebody could do that and not care about the consequences. But I wouldn't like to be that person. That's for sure. Right? Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, <remember. laughs> it's 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 you know there, there's a, there's and there's different takes. I have an individual in the book, Dr. Esteban Sarmiento, who's. Uh, He's been involved in this back from, I guess, the early 2000s when uh, he got I mean, Doug Doug Hachek got him involved with Sasquatch Legend Meet Science, and he's a he studies the apes. He's a primatologist and has been, and he he won't say he believes until he sees one. So there's there's a there's you know skeptics you know that I have I interviewed as well. Um, although you know what he he will say is is there's something to the thousands and thousands of reports all around the world. Yeah, he said there's something to it so uh that's what's fascinating i think les stroud said the same thing he said you take all these uh these this evidence uh mm. and um there's something to it there's something Absolutely. to it i agree yeah. with it and so often uh tim people don't have the people who report don't have skin in the game 
right? You know, watch Sasquatch Chronicles. Uh, you know, they've never heard of Bigfoot, but apart from the you know the old documentaries on television, they've got no interest in the subject. And when they come to me occasionally, they're half questioning themselves. You know, did right. did I really see this? Was somebody out there? Could there be somebody out there in a suit pranking us? We thought what we saw was real, and we were convinced. And I think that's that's what's so compelling to me. It's always the sightings, and people dismiss sightings, but the sightings are essentially it's the the bulk of the genre, the bulk of the study, and it's important. I think it is. Um, just quickly before we finish up, I just wanted um I wanted you to just talk about the kind of reception that the book has received. So um, thank you for asking about that. So the book so far, uh. It's been it's been I'm blessed that that because it, it's always it's always scary because you and not that I, I don't like taking chances because I don't don't have skin in the game either. I, I've not, not really been in the community per se. I just was a new enthusiast. I'm not a researcher. I'm just an enthusiast that, you know, was looking for answers and how to find people. So I thought I'd write a book and <laughs> so, uh, and help hopefully help other people. So so far, everyone likes it. I You know, I I wanted to hopefully it's for everybody. Um, it's it's. It's for somebody who's just getting into the subject, so they can it can kind of give them a a roadmap of just a a small number of the people that are because there's hundreds of people. That's why there's going to be more volumes because I just couldn't get it all in one book. Uh, there's just so, there's just so many people that are doing things out there that are important. Uh, so um, I'm going to try to get as many people in each book as I can. Um, and ev- so far, so good. I mean, every, everyone's got thinks it's 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 uh, well represented. Um, the individuals in the book, it's always scary. Like, you know, I, I interviewed Dr. Jeff and then had to send the, you know, it back to him, the review before I printed it. And you see, you always wonder how, how, you know, how it's going to go, <laughs> if he's going to, if he's going to read it back. Especially when you have to written up, you say, please, I get that besides, <sighs> please let me publish this now. I've, you know, I've trolled through eight pages of detail yes. to, to put this together. Um, yeah, and, well, of course, you know, it's, it's and they were all, they were Mostly they were audio. It was a combination of audio and 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 written answers. But I interviewed everyone uh, via you know Zoom or audio. Uh, so then I had to transcribe those interviews and and so that, you know and then edit and and make sure there's you know because when we're talking we obviously we're gonna have grammar grammar things that happened that we if we where we if we were writing writing something down we could actually see what we said. Um, so um, yes, yeah, so for it's it's the only book of its kind uh, out there because there's no one's ever done this. So I think that's kind of cool too. Um, so so far so good. I mean, I'm getting great great you know, and it's it's just humbling when you get you know some of these people that have been involved in the subject and some who just are enthusiasts and they just they love the book. So I just can't say enough and thank everyone for that. It's just it's just a lot of fun, and I, so that's what it's all about. I'm just hoping to. To, that people like it and that they they feel it's a valuable reference and fun. It's there's there's a lot of lighthearted stuff in there too. Uh, there's there's some gritty stuff in there too. I mean, you know, uh, less you know, less Stroud and I you know have a you know go into a, about you know we have some conversation about Todd Standing, which mm-hmm. is con- you know everyone knows uh, you know Todd Standing. He's controversial. He's a, yeah, yeah. He's controversial. There's a lot of controversial people, and and he's you know it's okay to be controversial, yeah. but so we so we talk about that, and there's you know yeah. so we we. We we talk about with the we talk about some 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 you know tough stuff too. So it's fun. It's gonna be lots a lot of fun. And inside the book, there's we the Doug Highcheck's ideas. There's QR mm. codes built in. That's so, gonna mention. Yeah. So amazing. Such yeah. a great idea. And the QR codes so the readers can click can use their their mobile device with the, take the camera, hit the QR code, 
And then we've got links built in, and I've got about 15 or 20 or more built wow. into it. And I've got all kinds of fun things. I've got some of the audio from the interview. Uh, I've got videos uh, in there. I've got links to articles. Uh, David Ellis, who's uh, who's one of the sound, he studies sounds with uh, spectrograms. He sent me um, audio clips of different uh, sounds that are uh, proposed to be Bigfoot. Sounds made in North America that sounds like apes. Uh, and then he also sent me the visual spectrograph, so you can see you can see it in color, and then you can yeah. listen to the sounds. Uh, there's just a lot of cool things, we, a lot of bonus things built into it. It's a lot of fun. So, well, that's the bit I was excited about as well. And I think you sent me one of the clips of the baboon style howl mm-hmm. recently, which I've, I've never heard before. I thought, this is so great with books now. You can just do that, and um, and it just loads up. It loads up so seamlessly. You know, um, I think when I did my books, Doug got me to do the intros. A little intro, walk-in introduction to the book, but just to see that there's, there's audio, there's there's clips of different things. It's wonderful. It's a great idea, and I think everybody will be doing it with their books in the future. It's such a fabulous idea. Just before we go, Tim, very quickly, where can we find you? How can we support you? I know you've got a podcast as well that people can can check out. Tell us all about that. Definitely. Uh, you know, you can always start at uh, at the website, thebigfootinfluencers.com. I've got links to everything in there. I'm building the the researcher page on there, too, because part of it is I want to make sure that folks, if they want to learn about the researchers, they can click that link and then they can get to, to wherever that researcher is doing their work, too. Um, so you can always start at the, thebigfootinfluencers.com. I've got links to where you can buy the book. Uh, if you want autographed copies of the book, um, you can go to uh, the North American Bigfoot Center, uh, where uh, which Cliff and Melissa Bearman run. Uh, they you can go on their online store, and they have an autograph. You can get an autograph copy from them. It, it should have Cliff's autograph also on his chapter, which is really cool. So when you're going to conferences, when you buy the book, take it with you to the conferences because there's probably a couple of speakers there that are in the book. You can get them to autograph their chapters. Um, Lauren Coleman has uh, autograph copies as well. I think he autographed his chapter if you go to the international cryptozoology museum mm-hmm. to their web store um, also uh sasquatchthelegend.com has got autographed copies and then you can go to amazon you can go to hang on publishing and buy the book um you can go to amazon any of your your main outlets and you can get the book as well uh our podcast is called the bigfoot influencers you can follow that if you go to the if you go on youtube you can go to the untold radio am network mm-hmm. And we're part of that family there. Uh, and there's a bunch of different fabulous, fabulous uh, different uh, podcasts there. And then you can or you can just go to any, you know, if you look up Untold Radio Network or Untold Radio AM on, on any of your podcast platforms, you can find us on podcast and like us. Check us out. Let us know what you think. So it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. Amazing. Tim, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you for the second time in two yes. days. Um, and I'm glad to see that you're feeling a lot better now. You know, Thank you're really you. fighting to do that. I think the book sounds amazing. I was excited about it from the very start. I advise everybody to go and get it as a Christmas present or for yourself. Just get in and have a look. There'll be more volumes to come. But this one sounds, it sounds amazing. Tim, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.